0: Hello, listeners. Welcome to episode 10 of the podcast. We made it to episode 10. It's a great day. It's very exciting. We have a really special episode for you today. Uh, What started as uh, one of our regular interview segments morphed into a two-hour conversation about academic bias and the right and left narratives. We enjoyed it so much, we thought we'd make episode 10 special, and here we are. So we have a very special guest, someone who when Riz and I first decided to create this podcast, we thought we need to get this person on the podcast and he refused vehemently and we'll talk about that. But uh, we're really excited about this episode. It's a very different format. It's very conversational. It's the three of us sort of around the campfire, if you will, having a discussion. So we really hope you enjoy it and we'll be back to a regular format next week. But for this week, enjoy episode 10
1: okay it is very exciting moment in the short history of our political podcast because we have a very special guest for you today we'd like to welcome our good buddy and brother professor mark m cogman thanks for coming on the show ma'am. sure (laughs) that's about the reaction that i expected now you may remember that the first ad spot we did a few weeks ago on our pod was for mark's new record uh, you know what? Before we even get any further, let's get nicknames out of the way. You will hear both me and Jay refer to Mark as Miz or Mizzo. Again, these are musician era nicknames that we've been using for the better part of two decades and that have withstood the test of time. Uh, anyway, you might be asking again are they just parading their friends and family out here and trying to pass them off as experts? Well, When Jay and I first conceived this podcast, one of the very first people we said we needed to have on the show was our good buddy, Miz. Miz is a smart guy. He has a master's degree in English. He's a well-spoken dude. He's also a great debater. Miz and I have been debating everything from the merits or lack thereof of certain musical acts and what food is better, sushi or pulled pork, for the last 20 years. But one thing that Miz openly hates to engage in publicly is politics. So when I asked him if he'd be a guest on the pod, his response was something along the line of, quote, I'd rather shove hot pokers through my eyeballs than listen to a political podcast, let alone be a guest on one. But with that said, Miz happens to also be one of the people in our country who are shaping young minds. That is right. On top of being one of our personal favorite singer-songwriters, he is also a professor at universities both in Oklahoma and in Utah. So we know that he has a great deal to say about the state of academia in this country. And you know I started to ask repeatedly if he would consider coming on to discuss the specific issue of so-called liberal bias in our education system, and I finally got him to agree. So without further ado, let me sort of intro the discussion here. Since I have been engaging in politics, which has been for around the last decade or so, I have paid attention to what the political right and political left are saying. For anyone who pays attention to right-wing media, there is perhaps no institution in America that gets attacked more fervently from the right than that of our education system writ large. Obviously, the attacks start on college campuses, they become more potent when talking about prestigious institutions like Harvard, Yale, Stanford, and Berkeley, the Ivy Leagues, but then they even trickle down to grade school in this sort of broad attempt to implicate the entire structure of our education system painting the narrative that kids are being indoctrinated into leftist, anti-American ideology, even at a very young age. This has led to what some on the right have been calling a, quote, golden age in homeschooling, as parents in mostly red state America decide to take their kids out of public education system and back into the home. Additionally, there are well-funded organizations like Turning Point USA, who openly attempt to catch professors at universities lecturing in overtly left-wing ideology and then attempt to get them fired. So to jump right into the conversation and then engage in what I'm sure will be a spirited debate, Ms., why do you think this conservative view of our education system has become so pervasive?
2: I guess I would say this. I didn't want to come on here. You know that for a number of reasons and I didn't even want to really come in on here and talk about this because I appreciate what you guys want to do with the idea of a civil discourse you know we can't have certain conversations you know civilly anymore and while that may be true I guess my the larger point for me is that um not every stupid take deserves a debate so are you having the flat earthers on next week
0: well okay with that being said I think let's go through the exercise of defining academic bias. I think once we have an idea of the definition, we can then move forward and talk about it. But it, until we're on the same page yeah, there, it's not We point. can
2: talk about that and 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 I have plenty of thoughts on how this became a debate, but maybe, maybe that's it is that the order of ops isn't quite right here. If I am here able to add anything different and and no one is claiming I'm an expert least of all me. What I can add as an instructor is not some sort of vast knowledge of the inner workings of universities okay if if i'm bringing something different to the table here it is not that what i'm bringing to the table is the fact that in my capacity as an instructor what i really do is i teach students to argue and i teach them i teach rhetoric and argument as part of english curriculum because that's what english curriculum really is at the college level if you're going to major in something associated with english or writing then you will go on and you will take literature courses and literature theory but to begin with what people have to take is comp one and comp two and the lens in which virtually everyone in america teaches that is argument so we're talking about rhetoric stuff that goes back to the ancient greeks and terms that are probably mostly used in something like debate but not many other settings
0: when you climb the mountain of academia right you are when you're creating a PhD thesis you are taking a viewpoint and you are backing it up essentially arguing it right yes and then when you are writing papers and and uh, publishing in academia you are essentially taking a viewpoint and backing it up so what you're saying is you are providing the the beginning of that
2: what I'm providing in what I feel is missing from this and so many conversations is the second part it's the backing it up part because what we have in this country is a whole lot of making opinions without backing them up.
0: Yeah, let's throw a bunch of words at a wall and see if they stick. Right. And
2: and I and I mentioned that especially in terms of sort of that's what I do because I want to make it clear despite everything the audience will hear me say is that one thing I never do in my class is discuss politics. Even though I guess in theory I have the right to do so, and the reason is to me that distracts from the message of what I'm really trying to do, which is to teach them to argue, which is to say they all decide on topics to research and make their case. And when I grade that, it is not about whether they can convince me or whether I think they're right or wrong. It's whether I feel they are engaging in argument well, which is to say backing things up. So for example, I've taught in red states my whole career. If I had to give you the quintessential paper, the 18-year-old, Oklahoma boy rights, it's about guns. So they are going to make their case about guns. And however I feel about guns, I am not going to grade them based on them. I'm going to grade them based on how they made their case. And so if they decide to make their case that say, um, a very common case, one you hear and a classic example of how this argument gets messed up, Chicago's got more murders than anyone, and they have strict gun laws. So that's a classic example of someone thinking they're making an argument and in fact not backing it up. What I have to point out to these students is not, you're wrong about guns. I will say, you're not using a statistic properly because no law enforcement agency in the world uses total number of crimes. They use crime rate. They use rate based on population. And if you factor in how many people live in Chicago, not only is Chicago not the murder capital, it's 16th. It's not close to the murder capital, And yet, you turn on Fox News and you will hear people talking about Chicago, not, say, New Orleans or St. Louis, which are actually the murder capitals. What it's about is the idea that you successfully researched and found credible information. So if I am bringing something to the table here, it's that we are going to discuss this problem. I am bringing that side of it. Because I have 25 pages of notes in front of me. Because that's what it takes to make your opinion heard. You have to actually back it up. And so the way I would begin with this entire debate, because like I said, I don't think the debate itself is where the meat is. I think the interesting part of this discussion is how we got here, how this became a talking point. And it is a talk, it absolutely is. If there's any liberal audience out there who thinks this isn't a talking point, it absolutely is a talking point, And it's not new. It's always been a talking point.
1: But lately, especially in the Trump era, when you put on Fox nowadays, if there's no crazy thing happening in the news cycle, it is always the default subject at hand.
2: Or they go to a handful and it's and it's one of them. sure. Right. Yeah.
1: yeah. I mean, but this has been pervasive since the
0: 30s and 40s and McCarthyism and
2: long. Time. It's been there a long time, as, as I'm sure we'll get to. But I guess if there is a reason why it is a worthwhile debate, not to go back on the idea that it's not a worthwhile debate. It's that when some idiot on Fox News says something, it's not just that there's some fat dude on a couch who then listens to it and regurgitates it on Twitter. It's that the fat dude on couch who regurgitates it on Twitter is the president. And then pretty soon he decides he's gonna get a little executive order together. And we have seen time and time again how a little mood that strikes him based on watching Fox makes him put an idea out there even if actually nobody thinks it's a good one. I mean, in the last week we watched him say, make the foreign students go home if they're taking classes online. And then less than a week later, it's so roundly rejected, he's like, actually, never mind." So while I would like to think this isn't a big deal that some fool on Fox says something that's easily disproven, if the president listens to it and then he tries to build legislation and then the cowards who would check him don't check him, then all of a sudden this is a problem in a way that it really never has been in history.
0: I think one of the biggest issues, before we even like get into the meat of it, is that this is presented as a very, not just the fact that it's prevented matter-of-factly, but the, the fact that it's presented in a very, like one sentence. This is a nuanced issue. It comes in many different forms. And what we're seeing on Fox News is teachers are teaching students to think progressively, right? But this ha- They say to hate
2: America is usually what they say.
0: That's what they say, but let's not regurgitate <laughs> Fox News. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Academic bias, right? Or discrimination, which is whichever word you want to take to it, it comes in a number of different forms, right? It's not just teacher to student. It's in, It could be institution to professor. It could be professor to professor. Indeed. It could be professor to student, as they talk about. And it could be student to student. There's nuance here that they do not get into. And I think that's important to differentiate for sure
2: and i will say that that you could probably say that pretty accurately about almost any issue nuance is one of the first things to go in the reactionary instant news cycle
1: let me ask a quick question though because we all went to school you know in the same city boston which is not exactly known for its right-wing sentiments never Uh, has been but yeah no never has been but do you guys feel and granted we went to school a long time ago we're pretty damn old i mean we're talking about almost 20 years ago but do you guys feel that we were indoctrinated into liberal thought going to either Berkeley or Emerson? Because I certainly well, don't. No,
2: but I don't even know if it's a fair question. I mean, you guys went to music school. Yeah,
1: right. that's what I was going to
0: say. And by the way, it is important to note that with, uh, along with what you're saying, Riz, is that the, uh, the ratio of liberal conservative in New England is the highest. It's 28 it to is. 1 versus six to, versus 6 to
2: 1 nationally. Right, right. And they're blue states, which is part of what accounts for that. But yes, New England uh, has a higher uh, a breakdown. But, but no, you're, you're, you, I, it's, it's, it's a ridiculous question, Rizzo. <laughs> so of course I think we would say no. Now, we could also report perhaps toward a certain environment, but I, I mean, we're getting ahead. There are a lot of different facets to look at. I'll just say this first of all. Here's what I can do uh, for the initial question, uh, sort of is it a thing? Here's how Professor uh, would come at it. We usually look for more than what we call anecdotal evidence. Uh, anybody can think of one example. It may be an outlier example, and this is another thing that media is constantly guilty of doing, right? Oh we found a, a, a black person who likes Trump, so obviously that's not a problem, right? that's that's okay. So uh, what we do is we 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 wish that I- instead of having to rely on anecdotes, we had some big peer-reviewed wide studies on the subject except it turns out we do we do have those studies
0: all the, all the way from 1955
2: right and i don't know if the 1955 ones are necessarily as relevant to this debate but but at any rate we have studies point
0: is we can there is there is a progression we can look sure. at and study
2: so the largest landmark study recently was in 2008. It was called The Social and Political Views of American Professors. It was looking at the professor thing specifically. And to to your point, most of these peer-reviewed studies have looked at three things. They've looked at the faculty themselves. They have looked at students and how they feel. And related to both of them, they have looked at graduate admissions because graduate admissions is both a, an examination of what it's like to be a student, but also if you are going to be a professor, you go through a process of applying to graduate school from your undergrad. And so naturally, people who would sure there was a bias would find it either in what students feel, uh, what professors are like, and is there a process? And it turns out that we actually have studies that account for all of these things. This one that was in 2008 pointed out some things that probably wouldn't fly with the whole Uh, uh, again, this sort of the story of how this debate happens, which is that, um, at least in that 2008 study, which was of 1,417 faculty members by a guy named Neil Gross and Solon Simmons, most don't even describe themselves as liberal. Most describes themselves as moderate, the second most being liberal.
0: Okay, so it's interesting you mentioned this. So I have a 2007 study that's- That's the one. So what I have is 44% liberal, 46% moderate, and 9% conservative. Right, in terms of how they
2: self-describe. And the important thing it notes is This is not at all blanket in certain areas of the country. It's more so and I guess more and by subjects. Exactly. And that's important, too, because it starts to get an idea that some of these researchers end up at, which is the fact that in the economics and in the hard sciences, you don't have as much of a split as you do in, say, something like humanities or, en- or English or music or history. It's interesting that a lot of history professors are uh, uh, more liberal-leaning. I guess what I mean by interesting is that it's obvious, but again, we can talk about that too. The most important thing that this study found is that there is absolutely nothing to say that just because more professors are liberal that there is a quote-unquote liberal bias. It is like the video games and gun violence. Correlation does not equal causation. Everyone seems to be able to agree that there are more liberal professors than conservatives. What no one is able to prove in a qualitative quantitative data sort of way is that that equals a bias. Now, that is just one particular way to look at this though. And just so you know, that's one study, there's other studies, there's one called Is Collegiate Political Correctness Fake News? relationships between grades and ideology that looks at grades what do they find the results of our study do not paint a picture of conservative college students under siege i mean same thing so we have wonderful anecdotes here and anecdotes there but when we do the thing that you have to do scientifically which is look at a whole bunch of stuff and eliminate outliers and get rid of highest on this side and highest on that side there is no data in any of these studies that can prove anything except there are more liberal professors than conservative professors
1: there are also more liberal Uh, journalists than there are conservative journalists. But that also, it's the same principle. If we, if we implicate the entire media uh, system as being overtly liberal, just because there happened, Anderson Cooper happens to be a liberal. It's always the
0: problem in any of these debates. The more you generalize, the less truth you're going to get out of it.
2: It's the importance of nuance, it's the importance of, of detail. And frankly, again, it's the importance of a sort of deep research process. Now, our listeners at home may not have access to article databases full of academic journals, even though those are, in fact, the most trust. Also, can I just say something off the top? I know that nobody on this uh, call right now would fall into this camp, but just in case there's someone sitting at home who would fall into this camp, as I go through all of this academic evidence, if anyone's sitting there thinking, Well, yeah, but the people who wrote those books and gathered that evidence, man, they're all professors.
1: That is the same thing that people say about the Pulitzer people. Whenever a New York Times journalist wins the Pulitzer Prize, somebody on the right says, yeah, the Pulitzer people are all leftists. They love to give each other awards.
2: I don't know what to say about the idea that we can't take academics for their word in a research project about academia or because they're academics. Like My brain broke, okay? It doesn't work. So, setting that aside, Maybe they don't have access to all that. Luckily, everyone has Amazon.com and they can order books. And there are a bunch of books that, again, talk about this phenomenon. So, again, think about this from the student standpoint, right? Students who may feel like they're being attacked. These are these stories that we hear, right? There's a book by someone named ABJ Binder who was in 2012. It's called Becoming Right How Campuses Shape Young Conservatives, okay? What is it like to be a conservative on campus? And again, shocking no one, at least not me. It determines that not only are they, A, not being brainwashed, or B, uh, being discouraged by widespread mistreatment, that in fact, they feel that even if they're a minority, they are thriving in higher education, and virtually none of them at the end of their education say, boy, I really wish I'd gone to a Jesus Academy instead of where I went where I wasn't in the majority. Okay, they seem to be doing just fine.
0: When you're talking about the indoctrination, right, obviously, we know, because you and I have both done research on this, we know where the studies lead,
2: right? Oh, yeah, we don't we don't even need studies for the word indoctrination. We can look at that in a vacuum, but continue.
0: But there still do exist these stories. They do exist of people being and I I honestly would rather call it discrimination than any other word. Indoctrination. Whatever else it is. I I do think that there are discriminatory stories that exist. And and so here's my thought process on sort of what you outlined, because everything you said is right on. And I I will, you know. It just in double checking your mm-hmm. math and having two people say the same thing is right. That's fine. Um, I think that viewpoint diversity is good. Yeah. Right? We can all agree. I on think
2: that. we literally can all, including the people who are being studied so intently here can agree on that. Yeah. Yes,
0: absolutely. So viewpoints do imply some personal experience. Personal experience can only be diverse if you have a diverse group of viewpoint givers. Mm-hmm. And to give you an example is like one of the most pervasive comments I see in the middle of the Black Lives Matter movement right now given by people of races other than people of color is this argument. When my friend or coworker tells me their experience, while it may not be my own, I, I, I may not have borne witness to, this, to, the, to the experience, I believe them. Sure. So my question is, why is it any different here? Why aren't we believing students who speak about academic, uh, you know, whether that's political or religious discrimination on campus?
2: You can believe individual uh, students. The trouble is, How do you account for the idea of whether there is built into the system something pervasive And the way is, well, you do a big study, and then a big study says there is no evidence that there is widespread, call it what you want, discrimination or bias. That's just it. You have a string of anecdotes, and anecdotes are great because they tend to come from the most extreme, and they catch our attention. But what makes them anecdotes, they're like the exceptions that prove the rule. They're the thing that pop out. They're the black guy at the Trump rally. And we should listen to the black guy at the Trump rally, but we should also be able to scientifically collect data to realize how few black guys there are at the Trump rally. You know. So that's, that's just it. You, Anybody can have a personal story. There can be people who have an issue with, with black people because they got jumped and beaten up by a gang of black people. You will never necessarily be able to convince that person that black people are harmless. But the question is, okay, what about the average person who thinks that's gonna happen to them? That's different.
1: I think we need to define first what liberal bias even is because I know Like if my wife was listening to this right now, she would say, I don't really even understand what that is. So I'm going to use a little example here. Jay and I talk a good deal about guys like Ben Shapiro on this podcast. For those who don't know him, he is a very conservative commentator. He's clearly a smart guy. He graduated from Harvard at 16. Uh, or went to Harvard at 16. He has a new book coming out called How to Destroy America in Three Easy Steps. And I sort of read the cliff notes. I know that a lot of the book centers around the idea that there are two competing narratives as to what America is. Narrative one is the idea that this is the greatest country in the world, that the ideals of this country and Western values in general are the best values ever conceived by man, They have taken billions of people around the world out of poverty. They have been the greatest force for prosperity in human history, and America ultimately has been at the root of bringing justice and freedom to the global population. Narrative two is more of a Bernie Sanders, Howard Zinn view of America, which is that America is a no good, terrible, very bad place. It was founded on corrupt ambitions when we stole native people's land and then proceeded to slaughter them. And everything that has derived from this is just more of the same white man exploitation and a long history of the country not living up to the founding ideals set forth in the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence and so forth. And so therefore, the entire system is broken and corrupt and must be completely destroyed. What a lot of conservatives like Ben Shapiro claim is that this second view of America is the liberal bias that is mainly being taught on college campuses and even in high school classrooms.
2: What Ben Shapiro is getting wrong is not seeing nuance. He's acting like there's view number one and there's view number two. So the other thing is in act, when I heard Ben Shapiro describe this, he actually said something that was even a little bit less noxious. He said that in that first version of America, it is a country that you know, tried its best and even though it failed and flowered at some points, it said eventually succeeding. And I guess the question I have for that side of it is okay, when did it succeed? It has succeeded. And it reminded me of uh, Jean Baudrillard's book as a French postmodernist called America, where he said the problem with America is it's a it's a country trying to be a utopia that acts as though utopia has already been achieved. Now, to me, and to me, the viewpoint that definitely isn't as far as what they claim Bernie said, and I don't even think that's what Bernie said, but the, the idea that somewhere, Between those two views is a view that says, this is not quite as perfect as they'd have us believe. It's on the right track, but we have to do better.
0: Can I read a quote from a a, a professor named George Yancey, who is a expert on this subject. He's been studying this for a really lengthy period of time. He's had numerous peer-reviewed papers on the subject. And he really, really digs into nuance, which is why I think what he has to say is so important. So he's come up with a theory. The theory disputes the notion of an all-encompassing academic bias that punishes all conservatives at all times, which is what I think we're really getting to the root of here. But even the subtle application of academic bias has important ramifications. So the quote is, for example, the preponderance of cultural progressives and non-religious individuals in academia, ensures that the ideas of the few cultural conservative outliers are marginalized unless they conform to the progressive presuppositions of the majority. This allows societal assumptions of cultural progressives to go relatively unchallenged and creates a situation whereby the potential demonizing of cultural conservatives and religious individuals can take place. So it's, it, it, it speaks to a very nuanced sure. version of this, but, sure. they, but exists even, even still.
2: First of all, you know what it sounds like he's describing is microaggressions, which we know how you guys feel about those. But no, the bigger thing is this idea of marginalization, and you guys talked about it a little bit, I don't want to go too far on a tangent here, but this notion of victimhood and how ironic it is. So I would just ask you, because I happen to have this data, what percentage of America is non-Hispanic white? 76%. What percentage of America describes themselves as Christian? 71% of that what uh describes themselves as evangelical protestant over 25% that's the largest group in America the entire victimhood from the white wing is an exercise of people who are quite literally mathematically never marginalized trying like hell to point out that oh they're they're they're
0: outnumbered okay but hang on because you just contradicted the numbers of the university system and the numbers of the population of all of America?
2: Sure, there is a minority of conservatives, not a marginalized, because in order to prove they were marginalized, you would have to do a big study and find out whether in fact they're being marginalized and all of the academic data on this says they're not. How about another book, Inside Graduate Admissions, Merit Diversity and Faculty Gatekeeping. This is that in-between stage where the students now want to go into academia are they being, uh, is the reason we have so many fewer liberal professors is because they're not getting accepted into these graduate programs. So this woman decides she is going to sit there and she is going to watch all across the country the deliberations of choosing students for graduate programs. And again, it's like it sounds like a broken record. No widespread bias against people from conservative backgrounds. But if you want to go further, you can look at the professors themselves. Another book, Passing on the Right, conservative professors in the Progressive University, John A. Shields and Joseph M. Dunn Sr. The faculty members who are Republicans are succeeding in finding happiness in academic careers.
0: In this same exact study, professors have been quoted as saying they have to use coping strategies that LGBTQ people have used in the military and other inhospitable work environments in order to preserve their political identity. Well,
2: their coping strategies are apparently so difficult that when they ask a group of professors who are liberal would you choose this career again 56% say yes and when they ask conservatives 66% say yes
0: that's also in the book but we have this problem on either side there are plenty of statistics that point to the others an audit study this suggests that entrance into a clinical psychology graduate program is negatively affected by whether the applicant is, is a conservative protestant or conservative okay, because so we
2: found a graduate program for clinical psychology which program <laughs> my point is they're all anecdotes whenever you zoom out You see a picture, which is that there's nothing to see here. That's what happens when you zoom out. It's very easy to find horror stories. But when one zooms out, for example, I really don't want to talk much about them, but I have to mention a couple times, these hats at Turning Point. Gotcha, some gotcha videos, right? Oh, we got some videos here. We have some videos, all right? So so maybe, here we are, it's 2020. Forget peer-reviewed studies, forget books. What about some 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 cool subterfuge like these guys are doing? And it turns out that of course we had some of that too. Maybe you read about this. Neil Gross, Ethan Fossey, Joseph Ma, they did the secret shopper approach. Did you read about this? Again, trying to determine if you can get biased uh, getting into graduate programs. So they did this huge secret shopper thing. What they do is they created a bunch of resumes that were similar. Similar schools, similar everything, they were the same. The only difference is on some of them they mentioned politics, not at all. On some of them they said, oh, and another thing I did is I worked on a presidential campaign, and some of them were the Obama campaign, and some of them were the McCain campaign. And then, you know, Turning Point, when they make one of those videos, after they get the video, they turn it over to an independent, politically mixed group of people to see whether the videos are valid, right? No, they don't! Turning Point just posts them on the internet! And these people, These people in their study had a team of politically mixed researchers. Look at the results. Look at the responses. How fast did they respond? What was the nature of their response? How much detail was there? And again, we're going to have to like edit this for time. No statistically substantive significant evidence of bias. That's what happens every time you zoom out. That's what happens.
0: I do think there needs to be room for processes for these specific uh, instances. But I do have a study, it's a book in 2011, again by George Yancey, Compromising Scholarship. And we have 30% of sociologists acknowledge they would be less likely to hire a job applicant if they knew he was Republican. 15% of political scientists, 24% of philosophy professors would discriminate against Republican job applicants. At least 30% of professors in all disciplines surveyed would discriminate against members of the NRA. Professors are less tolerant of evangelicals, especially when they associate them with social conservatism, which is the biggest, evangelical plus social conservatism equals the most pervasive issue in, in anything we could be talking right. about. 60% of anthropologists, 50% of literature professors, 39% of political scientists and sociologists, 34% of philosophy professors, and 29% of historians say they'd be less inclined to hire an evangelical uh, conservative Republican.
2: You mentioned exactly two numbers that were above 50%. So basically what you just proved with that statistic is that most in all of those disciplines would not discriminate
0: still the fact that there's discrimination in my opinion proves it, it, it. it's still a problem no matter what the percentage is
1: jay this goes back to what we talked about last week which is that uh, the only thing i got pushback from so far by the way from our last episode which was the fact that there is this right wing victimhood mentality the right wing has, has invested so much time in claiming the victimhood is on the left when they have their own victimhood. you know not only like like the statistics that miss just pointed out with the amount of Christian conservatives that are in this country, but the fact that they always seem to win elections somehow.
0: There are two issues that we're dealing with here. One is what's being paraded around on Fox News. I'm not about that at all.
2: You're still getting stuck on this notion of, because there's less of this, that means there's something large, that something has to be done about. And that's, that's the problem is that it, it's it's the correlation causation thing. And again, these people who did this study, the last one I wanna talk about, The Secret Shopper, they led to something which is a big theory in this, which is the idea of self-selection, okay? So you ask yourself, why are there finance majors who are not as-
0: Conservatives choose not to go to university or to go out into the- into, And they into choose certain world. majors. I get that. Mm-hmm.
2: They choose it themselves. And they, they say they can account for 43% of this political gap based on having four qualities, right? They're more likely to have high levels of educational attainment. They like going to school. They want to get more school. Secondly, they uh, experience a disparity between their levels of educational attainment and their salary, and they're okay with it. They know that with all this school they go to, they probably won't make as much money, and they're fine with it. They also have a high tolerance for controversial ideas. Okay, that is something that is, believe it or not, something associated with people who want to be a professor, not the idea that they don't want to listen to ideas, which gets into that interesting discussion of doc, hold on, one more thing. They also are more likely to be Jewish, non-religious, or a member of faith that is not theologically conservative Protestant. That is not an accident, because the fact of the matter is, this is the group that has their panties most in a bunch about what is going on, and it's also the reason why they decide to homeschool. Because they think if they send their kids to yeah, they school, they want to control
0: They want to they control, want the the control
2: the Lewis. information. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's interesting. Let's remember that. Control the information.
1: Yes, and we'll come back to that. But there are, you know... You can't deny that there are actually conservative thought leaders who come to liberal colleges and get protested by thousands of students who show up, who don't want to hear them speak, who shut them down. That is something legitimately happening.
2: You mean like when, Con- when Condoleezza Rice was going to speak at Stanford and the students said they didn't want her to speak and so they canceled it? Well, that was a big case. That's told like freedom of speech is being uh, 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 eroded, right? We're all very concerned about freedom of speech.
1: I was going to reference a personal story, which we'll get to later. But I was thinking about Dennis Prager, actually, who is another very uh, highly regarded conservative commentator, who's not controversial in any way. He's just a conservative. He went to Berkeley, which again, Berkeley's Berkeley, and to give a speech, and there were literally riots and people throwing stuff at buildings. That is legitimately happening. Now, I don't think that's happening on such a grand scale. It's the same principle with uh, sort of the media. They're There are a few people who might have this liberal bias and then we implicate the entire group. I don't think most kids on college campuses really care, but it is happening. It is happening.
0: This is the problem with making a blanket statement versus making a nuanced statement that focuses in on what could still be an issue, but just isn't as big as everyone's blowing it up to be. I'm not debating the fact that this is happening everywhere in every single case. You can't ignore the fact that the stats don't back that up.
2: The trouble is when we talk about liberal bias in education. We've made it macro. And when the president tweets and says, something should be done about this, that's making it macro.
0: I have the same problem you do with this.
2: Right, so, but, but here's the thing, because this is a debate out there, and uh, I assume you have listeners from all over the map, this needs unpacking more, okay? So the fact of the matter is, most people jump to this for a very simple reason. And they cite it all the time, and without even realizing that it's like the most incredible self-own ever, which is to look at the breakdown of the way the last election went and to recognize in terms of who went where, what the biggest demographic is, frankly, the, the deciding demographic, which of course is that the group that absolutely got her done for the right wing were non-college educated white people. In, in a list that breaks down everything else, you have people. If, if you're a white person in America, overall, uh, you actually uh, uh, voted for, uh, let's see here, among whites, 54% for Trump, 39% for Clinton. So if you were just white, more of you voted for Trump. But if you went to college, now 57% voted for Hillary, and only 36% voted for Trump. And if you didn't go to college, 64% voted for So, So people cite this. You see, you're, you're white, and it's okay. The minute you go to college, uh, they're obviously brainwashing you, And you become liberal. Be careful sending your kids.
1: So the the question then, Jay, for you is: Don't you, given those statistics, don't you think there is an absolute incentive for right wing politicians to demonize education? Because there is sort of a sense that you keep people dumb, you keep people in the dark, they'll keep voting for you, and this is a power grab. Everyone in politics is trying to attain power. So, so, so that's you know you have you can't discount that. Just as I don't think you could completely discount that there are instances of college camp, real college college campuses biases that are trying to shut down conservative thought.
0: That's my point. And I think think we're all on the same page here in terms of taking this macro argument and making it nuanced and talking about, okay, there are instances and we should address those instances and we should dispel the Fox News uh, headline because it's just not that simple.
2: Okay. So, one way we can do that, so I want to talk about two words that get repeated over and over again. We mentioned them already. One is indoctrination, and one is propaganda. These are the words that got repeated in a lot of those dumb Fox News pieces and that the president then tweeted, okay? So, the idea of indoctrination happening on college campuses. So what indoctrination means is that you- Before we
1: even go there, I want to give a little context. I, I, there was a tweet that Donald Trump, said, I think this was a couple of weeks ago, it was July 10th. He said, too many universities and school systems are about radical left indoctrination, not education. Therefore, I am telling the Treasury Department to re-examine their tax-exempt status, okay? okay. That just gives and a little background. Even though he
2: didn't use the word propaganda, it gets used, okay? So starting with indoctrination, and why, if you're sitting at home, going, yeah, indoctrination. Let me just tell you about some words here. Indoctrination means teaching a person or a group something, a set of beliefs, uncritically. The idea being that you essentially give them one thing to think and they can't think anything else. So first of all, I don't know how this is possible in the year 2020. Here's what you'd have to do to truly indoctrinate someone. First of all, you'd have to kidnap. You'd have to put them in a place. You'd have to make sure they didn't have the internet and they didn't have the phone and the only message they received was the message you gave them. And even then, I don't think this would work. During the Cold War, they were constantly snatching Russians and sending them off to re-education camps because they thought that they were getting some information that was bad and they would send them off to Siberia and they would have to work their asses off and get tortured and get fed this message over and over again. And for the most part, it didn't work because once you've heard more than one idea and once you've been given the notion that you have a choice between more than one idea, the toothpaste doesn't go back in the two You don't go back to thinking there's only one idea. So if you were actually going to indoctrinate anyone successfully, you'd have to have soul access to them, and they'd have to be a child. Which is why, when we use the word indoctrinate, we usually are referring to parents with their children, and the way that it comes up the most in conversation is parents with their children and religious views. Because the average parent does not say, so there's Hinduism, and there's Buddhism, and there's Judaism, and Islam, and Christianity, and there's atheism. Which one would you like? Mommy and daddy like this one, but which one would you like? Okay, they don't. They, uh, that's why when certain people grow up, they decide maybe they don't want to have the same views they did as a kid. As a kid, they're given one choice. It's like if you ate beans every single day, every day of your life, you wouldn't have an opinion on beans. I like them, I don't like them. There's absolutely no frame of reference against anything else and you said a phrase before that is key which is the indoctrination is about controlling the message and not letting any other message there and again the thing that pops up here is this idea of homeschool here in the golden age of homeschooling why is it the golden age because then parents can control the message so and listen this isn't a debate about what parents do with their kids. parents can indoctrinate their kids if they want they may like a lot of people i know grow up and not like their parents and not have a relationship with them anymore. But if they want to indoctrinate their their parents, it's fine. My point is, a large university in the 21st century with cell phones, internet, television, giant libraries full of books, bottomless databases, and most importantly of all, a whole bunch of other people from other places. This is not an environment when indoctrination is possible. The fact of the matter is, for many people uh college is not where indoctrination happens it's where indoctrination ends
1: and also to 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 follow up with that i'm the only one of us through as little kids and when when my kids you know i had heard a lot of the stories about kids going to school in la la especially they're gonna get indoctrinated into sort of these liberal values right the point i'm making is that when my kids started going to school not only did they stand up and do and say the the pledge of allegiance every single day in front of the flag and do all of those good government things that we, that we all did growing up. But they, I have not seen one stitch of evidence that, they're, that they are being indoctrinated.
0: It's because it doesn't exist. It's why I made the distinction at the beginning of this conversation to say, I believe this is discrimination and not anything else.
2: Sure. So propaganda is also an interesting discussion to have because it comes up again and again, and it even came up in some of those Ben Shapiro things. The propaganda is interesting because for the most part, we all use propaganda the wrong way. Propaganda does not mean lies. Propaganda means information of a biased nature used to promote something. So technically, any political poster is propaganda. We always talk about Nazi propaganda, but even Rosie the Riveter was propaganda. But that's beside the point because the way we use it in the parlance of our times, when they say propaganda, that's what they mean. The idea is that there's lies. They're going to learn these lies and they're going to make them hate America. And this is something that comes over. It's not just, uh, and Laura, what's her name who the rant that, you know, triggered the triggered, uh, yeah, that triggered, uh, uh, Trump's everything else. This idea of they're going to hate America, Tucker Carl. They're going to hate America. We can't let them hate America. So I taught in Oklahoma for a long time. My parents are from Oklahoma. My dad was born in 1947. He grew up in a town called Ponca city in Northern Oklahoma. My mom was born in 1949. She, uh, was raised in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Now, do you guys remember what grade you learned about the Osage murders? Of course you didn't, right? But then again, you probably didn't learn about much in Oklahoma. But I guess what's interesting is my parents are from a place that isn't that interesting. Oklahoma is not on anybody's big list of interesting. If they're in the news, it's usually not a good thing, okay? However, two, two really big, 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 big things that happened there in the '20s, And one was uh, the Osage murders, the briefest of backgrounds on this. Skip through a million chapters of American history in which the most upon people, Native Americans, go through everything they went through Finally, at the end of that, uh, the government says, hey, there's a little piece of land that nobody wants. You can have that one. And they send everybody to Oklahoma until they find oil, in which case they want it, right? But at the time, at the time, the Osage chief was happy. He's like, I'll be happy to live here. It's it's rocky, it's hilly, it's white people won't want this, We'll, we'll go here. But they were one of the last tribes to have to go through what's called allotment, where they take the land and they divvy it up into parcels so that it's easier to get them to sell it. And they had a crafty lawyer, the Osage, that was different than all the other native tribes. The crafty lawyer actually was aware of the fact that there was oil in Oklahoma. And so he did something that none of the other tribes managed to get. He managed to get an agreement where the Osage retained mineral rights. They were called head rights. So that when they came and drilled, they would have to send what amounts to mailbox money, royalty checks, to the Osage. So here comes the Gettys, and here comes E.W. Marland, and here comes Mr. Phillips from Phillips 66, and sure enough, they find a ton of oil there, and for a brief period of time, the Osage people are the richest people in the world. They are sending their kids to boarding schools in Europe, they have houses with staffs, they have cars. From 1918 into the 20s, something really weird starts happening, they all start getting murdered. And if you find this story interesting, there's a really great book about it, it's called Killers of the Flower Moon, it was a a bestseller a couple years ago, Um, by a guy named David Graham, because ultimately what is found, if you're interested in the FBI, it's also an important story for the foundation of the FBI. Because long story short, the only way they ended up solving this crime is they send in federal agents. The reason being that the entire system in Northeast Oklahoma of judges, politicians, law enforcement, all covered up a massive conspiracy amongst basically every white person in the town to murder these people for their head rights. And hundreds of people were murdered. This happened a stone's throw from where my dad grew up in Ponca City, Oklahoma. I mean, literally 20, 25 years beforehand where all this happened, that happened. It was a giant news story. It actually overshadowed the Scopes Monkey Trial at the same time, it was in like 1925, when rich people get killed. It's big news, even if they're Indian rich people, right? So what grade did my dad learn it? No, he didn't learn it. And my mom didn't learn about the Black Wall Street Massacre, which happened 30 blocks from where she grew up, why didn't they learn about these things? Because they made white people look bad. Meanwhile, right now in Oklahoma, they're unearthing mass graves to prove that the Black Wall Street Massacre, if you don't know about that, there's a bunch of great books on that, that in fact, 16 people didn't die. It was hundreds. If you don't know much about it, it's the moment where they got pissed that there was a part of town where black people were thriving and the Klan and everybody else marched in, burned to the ground and murdered them in America in 1921. Not only did they not tell her about it, when they did start talking about it, they called the cult tells a race riot. Now they're starting to call it what it is. One thing they have done in 2020, mind you, is they finally developed a curriculum to teach about the fact that this happened. This is the kind of thing that has got Lori Ingram upset.
1: Do you think that ties in with what I was saying before, the Howard Zinn sort of view of America, that it's not this
2: pretty picture?
1: and that there, there, are a lot, there is a lot of nuance and that conservative America maybe just doesn't want that nuance. They don't like it.
2: That's exactly what it is. They don't like the idea that we will look at this critically and you think, why is that? The argument is, oh, well, they'll, they'll learn to, they'll, they'll hate America and this, even if you can somehow, and this is the point, is that this isn't propaganda, people. This is the end of propaganda. Just the same way that college is an indoctrination, it's potentially the end of indoctrination.
0: I have a number of of uh, right wing academic friends, right, that are either getting their PhDs, have their PhDs, or are professors. And their issue is not so much this, because uh, you know, as Riz and I have talked about a number of times on this show, America is not a perfect place. Our history certainly isn't perfect, uh, but the fact that we are striving to become better is the whole point of how our country right. was founded. their Their issue is that these things that are now entering the the syllabi. Uh, if that's the right word for it, are displacing a more well-rounded liberal arts education, whether that's great books. You have to take something off the syllabus to put something on it. This is an argument from people in the system currently.
2: Sure.
1: And that is tied in a little bit, Jay, with cancel culture, because you now see historic films that are being, like Gone with the Wind, for instance, that are being attempted to be canceled because of certain notions.
2: Well, but you see, Rizzo, that's just it. That's what one side would say. That's not why Gone with the Wind got pulled. It got pulled and put back. You know what happened in the meantime? It was given what has always been missing, which is the proper context. And that's just it. I tried Like everyone else from the South, I grew up learning that I was a blood relative of Robert E. Lee, okay? (laughs) Because that's what everyone in the South thinks, right? Uh, It's like being able to say, you know, you're related to Genghis Khan if you're over there, though in that case you might be because he was such a prolific rapist, but anyway. No one wants to remove Robert E. Lee from the history books. In fact, we might want to put a lot more Robert E. Lee in those history books. It's just that you want to put some more information about Robert E. Lee. Instead of just was brilliant, military mind, brought glory to the South. You increase the bio so that it includes everything.
0: I don't, that's not the problem with, my, with, with the group of people I just mentioned. It's that, for example, Aristotle's being replaced with Toni Morrison. Sure you know, Homer, Sophocles, like they're being replaced by postmodern books that that are published after 2006. That's there
2: in a perfect world, there would be room for everything. Human history keeps going. So I guess it's a problem. We have a full glass of water. Again, I'm sure that uh, that's probably worse anecdotally in certain places. Part of it also is like the issue. We're not talking about statues, but I read a really interesting article about statues that said something uh, that was a good anecdote. And it was the idea of, Statues being built are a product of the political climate of the time. Statues being torn down are also a product of the political climate of the time. So if there even is a provable moment where on a widespread thing there's no more Sophocles and there's only Toni Morrison, that is the same sort of thing that is happening in the moment that is impermanent that will give way to something else, and that is sort of part of it. Just sort of like science, it's constantly changing as we learn more, and we need to be willing to learn more.
1: To bring back Howard Zinn for a second, because the right will, uh, you know, at least the the commentators on the right will always talk about Howard Zinn being an alt-historian, like not giving the actual history.
2: So again, it's this idea of truth versus lie. People really don't like tonally what Howard Zinn has to say, and if you can critique Howard Zinn, it's that, He replaced a simplistic narrative that only told one side with a simplistic narrative that told the other. But the one thing they can't do is say that the stuff that Howard Zinn says happened didn't happen.
1: Right. And as a professor, do you think the best thing to do is to give kids both stories and let them decide?
2: If you're going to involve something like Howard Zinn or something like a lot of the stuff that we were taught, yes, they should have it all. But you see, that's just it. That's not the narrative. The narrative is this guy he doesn't say we're great and it's like listen this is what i said about history professors do you know why history professors are probably more liberal leading because if you read enough history how could you not be again that's something that can actually be debated another point that i think people if we don't mention it will say how did you not talk about yada 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 and that i can sort of speak to knowing a little bit about is the idea of tenure
0: yes this comes into play here
2: this is often a part of this debate if you're not familiar with what tenure is Essentially, it is a certain level of job security, and ostensibly what it's for is academic freedom. Now, I want to mention something. We'll talk about academic freedom, but the other part about tenure that people don't think about is the real reason it's there is that offering the kind of job security that tenure offers, which essentially says you can only get fired for cause, like if you do something terrible. You can't get fired for your political views, for example. Being able to offer that is one of the small ways that academic institutions can even hope to compete with the private sector, which always has been able to and will always be able to offer much more money to anyone who's considering teaching. And so even people who are huge critics of tenure admit, if we get rid of tenure, we're gonna have to find a way to pay professors a lot more, and God knows that's not happening. But academic freedom is what tenure is supposed to sort of be about. And the idea is you won't get fired just because your viewpoint is different than your boss, or your department head, or your university as a whole, or even the guy who donates lots of money to your university, okay? Like Oklahoma State had this guy named T. Boone Pickens who gave him $180 million for their football stadium. He was also one of the first people on the Trump train. You can teach at Oklahoma State and be liberal and not think, oh God, if T. Boone Pickens makes a phone call, okay? So that's what tenure is. Because of this, it protects you no matter what you say. And there are a lot of critics of this, but the important thing to remember here is, does it protect the crazy leftist professor at Cal Berkeley? Yes, but it also protects Eric Rasmussen. Do You remember Eric Rasmussen? He was the guy who this past November, he's a, a professor of uh, economics at Indiana, was retweeting and forwarding some like seriously over the top, misogynist, racist, homophobic content and then when he was called on it, instead of doing that little half-apology thing, he was like, F you, I can say whatever I want. The university contemned his views, his um, his colleagues talked about what an idiot was, but you know what didn't happen? He didn't get fired, because you can't get fired unless you sleep with a student or something, okay? Like, that's tenure, and it protects everyone. And if, if, if uh, conservative professors are worried that they're gonna get discriminated against, they should be at the top of the list for making sure that tenure stays protected.
0: I completely agree with this. I think that it's a solution. Right. But only if they are able to equally climb up that food chain. If
2: the tenure process is, right, if the tenure process is is, is done in a way that's uh, that's correct. Absolutely.
1: Correct. I absolutely agree that is that is the solution without a doubt. I got two questions before you go, Miss. Number one, um, you know, because I'm a, I have little kids, so I'm most concerned right now with their with their public school education. I'm not thinking about college yet. There, I have heard another argument on the right that because the teachers' unions are all unions, and that means by inherently they're Democrats, uh, they're run by Democrats. That this is all tied in to why teachers, even in grade school, are you know, in that liberal
2: system. The police have a union. The head of the police union was on TV the other day and he had a QAnon mug behind him. Unions are a whole different debate. They are classically on the left. People on the right think they're commie. Um, I guess the argument against that would be that we have thousands of years of human history of workers being exploited. Speaking
0: of the police union, they're now backing Trump
2: right. and the And the police union is an example of how they could definitely go the wrong way, but that's honestly, that's a different that's a different discussion we probably don't want to get into. Now, what I do want to mention, though, is that you wonder if it's not tenure they want to get with, these people, the Lori Ingrams and the Donald Trumps, if nobody else, or the Ben Shapiros, what their idea of a bastion of education would look like. And it turns out, you know, there are institutions that get their seal of approval. And you know that they do, because they are places that they absolutely must stop on the speaking tour, where they all speak like Ronald Reagan, Dan Quayle, Pat McKinnon, Phil Graham, Bob Dole, Alan Keyes, George W, Ben Carson and Ted Cruz in 2015, Rick Perry, Mike Huckabee, Scott Walker, they all made sure that they spoke at Bob Jones University in Greenville, South Carolina. I just think they're an interesting test case because of how they came about. There's this really interesting origin story of how Bob Jones University happened. At a Bible conference, Mr. Bob Jones was sitting next to the venerable William Jennings Bryan, Supreme Court Justice. This is the famous origin story. Apparently, because of something that was being discussed, William Jennings Bryan leaned into Bob Jones and said, if schools and colleges do not quit teaching evolution as a fact, we're going to have a nation of atheists. And this inspired Bob Jones to start a college, wait for it, even though he didn't have a college degree. So I'm trying to think of a better metaphor here for the idea that when these guys want to start a school, it's because they're worried too many people are going to learn scientific fact and they want to prevent that. And they don't even bother with the fact that they don't have a college degree. I'll start a college anyway.
1: I think Jay's going to have something to say about this one.
0: This is a tangent that I really do not want to go off on, but okay. Evolutional theory. Yeah. Not evolutional fact. Okay. It's an important distinction. I, we don't have to argue it.
2: Sure. It can sit there like the fat elephant in the corner.
0: (laughs) Look it up anywhere. Remains a theory.
2: Yeah. Now, Bob Jones, the reason I was incredulous about your movie anecdote is that Bob Jones didn't allow black people until after 1970, and that was only because the Supreme Court case that said they had to. Then they only allowed married black people, and then they had an interracial dating policy. You weren't allowed to interracially date. Don't worry. They got rid of that policy in 2000, which means my two Ashkenazi Jew friends that if you had got off the college Rizzo in 1998 and you had got off the college day in 1999, you would have been prevented by the rules of your college of dating the women that you married. But I recognize maybe Bob Jones is a silly anecdote. I mean, it's the size of Pepperdine, right? So I don't really wanna talk about Bob Jones. I wanna talk about one that is definitely heralded as a bastion of education in America by the Republican Party that is deeply rooted within its politics and which on our most paranoid day people in education might fear is the real vision of education that somebody like Laura Ingram must have. And that's a little school in Lynchburg, Virginia called Liberty. When I say little, mm, I don't really mean it, but I'll get to that in a second. So Liberty University, you may remember them from the news because they got in trouble for having everybody come back too early from COVID. They are now currently trying to sue the reporters who broke that story for trespassing. But anyway, they're not just anti-gay, they actually bought psychology textbooks that scrubbed all mentioning of homosexuality so there's a little more of that indoctrination we're going to control the message thing we're not just going to tell you one thing we're going to make sure you don't hear anything else and in 2009 they stopped recognizing the democratic party campus group i only mention this because one of the big things that certain organizations like to tout is how the uh colleges aren't recognizing their campus group um the radical democratic party campus group was not recognized as of 2009.
1: And they were Christians.
2: Uh, if they're at liberty, then they must be, you would assume.
1: Because, you know, it's funny. We talk a lot about the religious right. No one ever talks about the religious left, which there's plenty of. There is plenty of religious left. There. I was listening to a podcast and they had... Uh,
2: you mean there's people on the left who are religious? Who
1: are, who are like very, very diehard Christians. And you don't hear about them. We only talk about the Christian
2: right. You know why you don't hear about them? Because they're not a political movement. They're just people with religion. That's the difference. Now, I won't give you all the wonderful poll quotes of their president Jerry Falwell Jr. to show what a garbage human being he is. Just trust that they're there. However, there's a big argument that immediately pops up. Here I am talking about these religious schools, right? I mean, after all, Liberty's only got 15,000 people. That's, let me see, bigger than Yale, smaller than Harvard. The University of California in Berkeley, not only is that a massive lefty school, But it's a public school. Your tax dollars, right? Well, two notes on that. Number one, there is no such thing as a really private school in America because any school that offers federally subsidized loans means that you and me and everybody are paying with our tax dollar for those students to go there. So our tax dollars are paying for people to go to Berkeley and our tax dollars are paying for people to go to Berkeley and Boston, okay? And they're paying for people to go to Harvard, and they're paying for people to learn young earth creationism at Bob Jones, and they're, and they're paying for people to go to Liberty. And the other reason I wanted to mention this is the idea of small, because Liberty University, maybe because it knew it was dealing with some of the homeschool crowd, was one of the first colleges to get on the distance learning train. They got on it so early they were mailing VHS tapes. And when online learning became a thing, they were poised to jump on. So, Little Liberty University, exactly how big are they? Well, let's see here. They are sixth in the nation for receiving federal money from the government. And they are the single largest school in America based on enrollment. So we are terrified of a liberal bias in education. The biggest school based on enrollment is this one.
1: It's more of that victimhood mentality from the right that I talked about last week. It's this constant, we are the underdogs when that's belied by the facts.
0: It shouldn't be a pivot issue for the right, but it does need to be addressed. It creates the need for a more nuanced conversation about the issue.
2: It makes it something that isn't front page news, you know, alongside big stuff.
1: They make it front page news. Let me ask you a quick question. Why is there so so much more of an attack on ivy league institutions than anything else like it's always harvard yale berkeley stanford those are always the the real true enemies of of the right why
2: the short answer there's a longer answer which i can get to but the short answer is those are the experts those are the ones that train the politicians including the right-wing ones by the way and the experts and the scientists and everybody who they have a real uh, approach to, you know, a real agenda to undermine. We didn't talk about before we get to that. There's we we didn't talk about one thing, which I think you probably would want to talk about because we talked about the idea of how students feel and the idea of professors, but just the notion that the atmosphere of a college campus is a liberal atmosphere, and this bothers people. Are yeah. more college campuses because again, there's the Liberties and the Bob Joneses of the of the world. And BYU, I'm going to just skip my whole BYU tangent, folks. Um, if you want to talk about speakers getting banned, I mean, at Stanford, they wait for the students to revolt. At BYU, they just, they just refuse to invite you know, certain types. Um, anyway, I would say more college campuses have a vibe of liberalism than conservatism. I think that's fine. You can absolutely say that, okay? Now, keep something in mind. College students quite often do stupid stuff. Okay, I'm not saying they don't. I went to college with you guys. I don't think you want me to divulge you know, too much about that. I wouldn't anyway, because it would be (laughs) self-incriminating. Let's just say that you guys had a lot of bright ideas on the more mild scale, you know, thinking it was a good idea to go see Bruce Almighty in the theater. (laughs) College students are still young and naive, but they don't think they're naive. It reminds me of the word sophomore, okay? The word sophomore comes from the Greek. It means wise fool. And what it gets to is the idea that when you're a freshman you don't know anything but you, but you know you don't know anything. And then the mistake is once you've been around another year you're like I think I got the hang of this but the fact is you still don't know anything, right? And that's almost more dangerous, okay? So those years from 18 to 23, 24, those are years where you think you've got the hang of it and then only when you get even older do you realize that you didn't. Not, not entirely, even if you had some things right, okay? But I can tell you something else from spending all day working with college students, which is what I do for a living is that they are a lot of other wonderful things too. This is the age where, whatever their parents indoctrinated them with, I mean, even if it wasn't religion, even if it was being vegan or even- it,
0: They get to question that. They here. get
2: to question it. This is their, when they're the most intellectually curious they've ever been and probably will be for the rest of their life. It's a time when they're actually really interested in finding out, about what other people's experiences are that are not exactly their own. And this is probably what leads to that research that says that these right-wing students who go through, even if they think they're the minority, they find the experience very rewarding by the end, in fact, because it is rewarding to see different types of people. I mean, I remember when I moved from a bedroom community in Maryland to a bedroom community in Connecticut, and uh, I was shocked when I got there that not only did the people in Connecticut not only were there, were there no black people, but most of them have never even met a black person unless they were like playing a sports team from another town. Um, when I was living in Maryland in the seventh and eighth grade, I went to so many bar and bat mitzvahs that I could pray and still can in Hebrew. And I get to Connecticut and there were three, exactly three Jewish kids in my entire graduating class. That's not a better atmosphere. You only understand people if you're exposed to more, right? Diversity of thought. Exactly. So. that's a great thing about being alive is that at that point in time, it's not just that there are more people, it's that you're actually hungry. On the whole, they're hungry to know more people and know more stuff. There is also a tradition of college students of activism. And activism has somehow become kind of a dirty word with some people. And I'm sure you can point to stuff where they were uh, being activists and it ended up being a little bit overblown or a little bit silly. But some things that students have been activists for, not just in America and not just recently, but all over the world, and all throughout history, right? Tiananmen Square in the 80s, in China, Uh, all the Vietnam War protests, which weren't just here, they were in like London too, the White Rose Society of Germany, right? 1942, anti-Nazi group, and we're not talking about Jews. They were gone by then, right? This is other people, okay? Uh, All the anti-communist revolutions, starting with the Velvet Revolution of 1989 in Prague. There wasn't a problem with activism on the right wing when they were overthrowing communism, right? The stuff in Hong Kong, both now and in 2014, uh, stuff during apartheid in Soweto, South Africa, all the civil rights stuff, starting with Greensboro here. Remember Les Miserables? You guys ever see that play? You were too busy going to see Jekyll and Hyde with Sebastian Bach. That was another one of your <laughs> bad decisions in college. We did both, Miz, we did in both. In Les Miserables, our, our main characters are these students. It's the Paris Uprising, the, the June Uprising of 1832, I think, okay? They're students, that's what students do. And more often than not, they're doing it for things that, where they're on the right side of history.
1: Yeah, idealism.
2: Exactly. And part of it's that. So, so that's just something that's, that's, that's pervasive on, on college campuses. And, and again, it seems like most people who go through it don't feel like that they were, they were damaged as a result.
0: Again, I make the distinction, maybe discriminated, not damaged. There's a difference. You can come out of it as a full person and still have been discriminated throughout your college
2: experience. It's just that you have to really put a uh, more of a tangible thing on the idea of discrimination. Like discrimination to a black person in the 60s, man, you didn't get to eat somewhere, everybody else did, right? Or the fact that women don't make as much money for doing the same job as a man. Okay, there are levels. What's the discrimination that comes across? Because according to Turning Point, it's having to sit in the classroom where a professor makes a joke about Trump. That's not discrimination. So what is what is discrimination? What is
0: it? Let me tell you this. Psychology Today did a study. A couple of different numbers here. Explicit willingness to discriminate. Okay, it's from 2012.
2: Where people admit that they're willing to discriminate. Yep. Okay.
0: Reluctant to invite a conservative colleague to a symposium, 53%. Negative review for paper taking conservative perspective, 77%. Negative review of grant seeming to take a conservative perspective, 72%. Choose liberal over conservative job candidate with equal qualifications, 74%.
1: Yeah, I read that too.
0: So that's my point. I'm just saying there's a difference between going through that discrimination, which I do think we need to work through, and then being damaged from it is a completely different conversation sure
1: i think a lot of this also jay a lot of this is um because of the trump era you know there has been there is such a distaste for conservative America by the liberal America because of Trump. We turn the amp up to 11.
2: Yeah, that's what I'd say is that you can't, this, this is a conversation that almost has to happen outside the vacuum of the of the Trump thing. And most of the research we've both been citing is before, because the rules changed entirely. When you have someone who's going to outwardly say the shit that he says, it's not a controversial opinion to call him an idiot.
1: And by the way, Ms., even Shapiro in that clip I sent you this morning says that. He says that this the Trump's probably, an idiot? That, no, well, not that Trump's an idiot, but that uh, well, he does say that often. But in the clip I sent you, he says that this might just go away when Trump is out of office because he is such a divisive figure. It will
2: certainly t- take take the volume down,
1: yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree with that.
2: Again, present company... Exp- like, I, I, I hope no one is writing a comment being like, but what about turning point, though, THO, okay? Very, very quickly, this is a ridiculous organization started by a guy after he was frustrated that he was refused from West Point. And he went on record as saying the other candidate was a different gender, a different persuasion and had lower test scores than me, which is of course a lie. And then later on, when they're like, you were lying. He was like, oh, I was being sarcastic. Does that remind you of anybody, by the way? Says inflammatory thing, proves to be total. Oh, I was just kidding. I mean, he is just whatever. You have a bleep button. He's a little sniveling piece of and if he ever is walking down the street and I'm walking down the street, he better move to the other side. He's got a professor watch list. He should start a new watch list. Professors to watch out because they're gonna kick my a- That's where we can put this fool.
1: We're talking about Charlie Kirk.
2: Yeah, we're talking about Charlie Kirk, okay? So I don't need to run through the fact that person after person after person in this organization has revealed to be racist and anti-Semitic. I mean, there's so many stories that there's news stories being like, boy, Turning Point keeps accidentally hiring racists. The point is, They're the quintessential uh, antithesis of what we began talking about, which is the idea that if you're going to make an argument, you have to back it. Because like their favorite person that they support, they have made a business of just making up, just making it up and knowing that it will go out there. And before it comes back to be disproven, it's already sort of entered the ether.
1: It's what we talked about last week, Jay, when I said 94% of people who watch Fox Fox news, get their news from Fox exclusively. So there's no, there's no ability for it to be fact-checked. Yeah. It's terrifying.
2: Just like the fact that we have to address the rants on Fox news because the president reads them and then does executive orders. You have to keep in mind the fact that this guy who trends, th- who tweets things like hydrochloroquine is a hundred percent effective in treating COVID and social distancing is a democratic hoax against Christianity. Rudy Giuliani's retweeting him. Trump is retweeting him. Okay. The list of d- this guy has made it's incredible, okay? And then you think, this idiot was allowed to speak at the 2016 Republican National Convention. But here's my favorite bit. He wrote a book. If you really wanna laugh, go read some reviews of this book, or better yet, buy it, okay? I don't wanna put money in this guy's pocket or anything, but you know we, we still have a COVID crisis, and if you guys run out of toilet paper, you can absolutely wipe your ass with this. It's 150 pages, which you, know, you have to use book in quotes, okay? a good uh, uh, 20% of that are just uh, reproduced tweets in large font. Spelling errors, grammar errors, diction errors from the very first page, but then you realize this shouldn't be shocking because this, again, this voice on changing the culture at colleges took a few classes at community college and then dropped out. However, he has an honorary doctorate degree, did you know that? From where? From Liberty.
1: <laughs> Couldn't have guessed that one.
2: I, for one, whether we feel like we need to do something about the problems, am much more satisfied with the status quo, flawed as it is, than approach whatever this is. And it makes you wonder why, why does a guy like this even get the attention? And to me, it's, it's what we were talking about. It's because they are so attached to this narrative about college. And if you look at the voter breakdown, it makes sense. I mean, this has been talked about quite a bit. In the 18 to 29 demographic, they voted for Hillary 58% to 28%. Okay, in the 30 to 49, it was 51 to 40, and then it starts to change. And that over 65 vote, that's what absolutely nailed it. Now those people, they're all 69 now, and a lot of them are dying. But the fact of the matter is 4.6 million more people in that over 65 came out to vote in 2016 than in 2012. And the fact of the matter is they are so desperate for anything resembling a youth movement in the conservative side, because they have call, to the degree that they even get excited about an idiot like this and what he's doing, because at least he's young.
1: His demonstrations are crazy. I mean, he has like several thousand people that come to all his talks and he's such an idiot. Uh, it's, 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 it's bizarre to me. I'd love to
0: do something here. Um, We had a guest on the podcast. He's a law professor. Uh, His name is Professor Adam McLeod. He gave a great talk uh, to Riz and I about sort of civil discourse. He's a specialist in the area. I asked him for a comment on this, and he he directed me to a letter he wrote to the uh, president of the University of New Hampshire. I'd like to read have you respond to it because I'm interested to know what that professor to professor sort of conversation is like.
2: What prompted him to write a letter to that particular head of that particular university?
0: That's what I'll start with. So the president of the University of New Hampshire dismissed concerns about ideological bias on university campuses. And the quote that he gave was, I think that people make a little bit more of this than it really is. Here's what Professor McLeod's response to that was. Uh, and he said, I teach graduates of major universities such as UNH, and I see the effects of ideological bias that pervades higher education. I used to be able to assume that at least a minimal facility with formal logic and a basic knowledge of Anglo-American and world history. Now my students possess a little of either as a student lamented during my, a visit to my office recently, quote, I now realize that no one ever taught me how to think. End quote. A few years ago to address these deficiencies. Colleagues and I designed a required first-year course and textbook on the foundations of law. It's basic stuff, Magna Carta, Declaration of Independence, U.S. Constitution. A law school course. Law school, yes. Uh, Federalist papers, Abraham uh, Abraham Lincoln speeches, Martin Luther King uh, Jr.'s letter from a Birmingham jail. For our students, though, almost everything in the course is a revelation. This is not to suggest that my students did not learn anything in their undergraduate institutions. They learned all about different victim groups. They learned not to express any skepticism about prevailing orthodoxies, theological dogmas at some religious colleges, leftist ideological dogmas everywhere else. For example, those educated at a public and elite private universities know uh, that they should never, under any circumstances, allow their professors to suspect that they, should, that they understand marriage to be inherently a man woman union, nor should they reveal any knowledge of the Hebrew and Christian scriptures or attraction. To classical liberal ideals uh, my students also learned a political ideology for example they know about slavery they know it was perpetrated by whites against blacks they don't know that slavery was was ubiquitous until very recently in world history or that the first legal arguments for abolition were articulated by christian jurists drawing upon christian teachings about the inherent equal dignity of all people they don't know slavery is contrary to common law and so had to be instituted affirmatively in britain's colonies. i mean these are all he goes on to to continue and says this is all anecdotal yeah
2: the height of anecdotal But of course, my
0: experience is not unique. The evidence of ideological uniformity on higher education campuses is now too substantial to dismiss, and it correlates with an alarming civic ignorance among young people. Like the proverbial fish unaware that they are swimming in water, lifelong academics are unaware that people who disagree with the prevailing orthodoxies are submerged silently all around them holding their breath. Ideology, almost done ideology blinds academics just as it blinds other people to facts and judgments that complicate their beliefs and unless they work with people who challenge them they don't even know what they don't know Though they would contribute intellectual diversity they do not always check the right diversity boxes on faculty applications which ask about race sexual orientation and other traits that have no inherent connection to viewpoint
1: before we even get to miss that is a very intellectual way of saying the basic argument that the right always makes which is white heterosexual christian man bad that it all it, it, it all ties into that, this idea that kids are being taught somehow, that if you're white, Christian, conservative, you are bad, and they don't give the nuances of all the other. But you are not a professor. I'm not a professor. Adam
0: is, and so is Mark, and so I just wanted to give that some some room.
2: I have taught at Oklahoma City Community College, Roger State University, which is a regional school in Oklahoma, the University of Tulsa, which is all rich kids from Houston. Tulsa Community College, which is a giant inner city community college in, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and Utah Valley University, which is the largest state school in Utah. It's bigger than the University of Utah. It's got 40,000 plus students. I wouldn't characterize any of those populations as being that clueless about everything. Now, I guess what I would, I would argue, which is sort of part of what Riz was saying, I think, is there is perhaps a movement in education in more recent years to make sure we say the things that were systematically and deliberately left out all of the decades before. And I think there's a set of people who are so upset at the idea that now they get framed in a way which is less flattering or just the idea that all of a sudden we're doing something different that they ignore a couple of important things. One, that what we're doing now is telling the truth. That literally we can look at curriculum before and say we were lying and now we're not lying and just the idea that uh uh you know that, 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 i mean I guess, I guess my point is he says you should come to school to get your ideologies challenged and that's what school is you should get your ideologies challenged and, and you do and, and again it's the whole about separating an anecdote from a big thing when you go to school you take a bunch of classes from a bunch of different professors and you are surrounded by a bunch of different students from a bunch of different places. I still refuse the narrative that anyone is sitting in a room, a giant lecture hall of 200 people in a public, they're the only one, especially considering the fact that as I pointed out, these supposedly marginalized peoples just happen to be the most dominant peoples in the country, demographically. I mean, my point is like, that, like, it doesn't make, like that's why white victimhood doesn't make sense. There's too many white people. It's, it's why a war on Christmas is, is, is idiotic everybody celebrates it.
0: Maybe this is why this is the, the sort of go-to issue because it isn't on college campuses. Christian conservatives are not in the majority on, on, on college campuses.
2: I gotcha. So it's a, it's a place where in fact the tables have been flipped and that freaks them the fuck out. I believe that, and you know, it reminds me of, uh, uh, I don't like to, to cite tweets very often, but it reminds me of a great tweet I saw at one point where someone had said, changes in demographics show that Houston could actually be more Hispanic than white in 2025. And then somebody somebody quoted it and said, why is that so scary? Are, are minorities treated badly in America or something?
1: I probably listened to more right-wing uh media than both of you combined. Just maybe I like to live in a state of anger. Or or, you know, like I've said a million times on the show, I think it's important to get both sides just so you can understand sort of where the center is. Yeah, if you don't if you're not getting one side, you're getting no perspective. But what I could say is that it's not just the curriculum on the curriculum on college campuses that is the root of all of the right-wing attacks. It's also sort of the general cultural changes that are happening on campuses that are being demonized by the political right. This sort of You've heard all these terms, the PC snowflake culture, where everyone needs safe spaces in case they hear something they disagree with. Well, it's what Mark was talking about earlier, making the joke about
0: microaggressions. It's not dissimilar to that.
1: Further, they're being indoctrinated into sort of leftist views on sexuality, this idea that a man could be a woman if they decide to, or a woman could be a man, or a cat could be a dog. And you know, they're very upset about this in on the right.
2: Well, you see, the right in the sentence you just said is the part that's sort indoctrinated into thinking you're not indoctrinated into anything if you hear a new viewpoint indoctrination is when you're given one viewpoint only
1: i'm pointing out here uh one another level of uh, hyperbole on the right here
0: oh sure i think what you're referring to is if you have uh, a pervasive amount of uh left-leaning or even moderate left-leaning professors on campus and you have uh you know in a sample in the new york times right an article for the new york times by Uh, Sarah Lawrence Professor Samuel J. Abrams, right? He surveyed 900 student-facing administrators. Uh, On the left, it was 12 to 1. Only 6% of campus administrators identified as conservative to some degree. Now, you're going to have non-academic programming on college campuses. You're going to have it be politically one-sided just... Unless someone is specifically tending to diversity of thought, you are going to have, and this was part of the article, there was a pervasive amount of outside classroom activities that we're liberal leaning. And that's maybe what I think you're speaking to here is that the culture on campus, political activities that are university organized are gonna be
1: left facing. In, re- in regard to the culture though, what I'm saying is that if you if you are someone mutual people we know that just listen to right-wing media, just read right-wing media, you are really gonna start to believe that the the entire culture has gone backwards. Every boy wants to be a girl, and every girl wants to be a boy, and it's just, it's backwards, and it's just not true, it's not true. You can't blanket
0: statement anything.
2: I believe that this whole critique is just part of a larger ideologically anti-education thing that is part of right-wing identity. Laura Ingram went to Dartmouth, you know what I mean? Like these people, they all go to private, they all go to these, these Ivy League schools, they send their kids to Ivy League school, but then they stand up and say this, and it's because as the numbers illustrate, you talk about a base, okay? Now I don't know what a liberal base is in America, but I know this, black people, people of color I should say, no matter how much education they have, they don't tend to vote right wing. Um, women, when looked at as a whole, they don't tend to vote right wing. Anyone with a college education doesn't tend to vote right wing. Um, and so if there is a quote, and, and, and listen, there are right wingers with lots of education and that make a lot of money. Some of them are voting because they feel that from a physical perspective, it protects them and that's what they're interested in. Some of them get wrapped up in the religious identity of conservative and that's what matters to them. Some
1: of them are acting, by the way. Some, like Ann, Ann Coulter, for instance. My cousin, went to, my cousin was in class at college with, with Ann Coulter and he said it, it, the whole thing is an act. Like it's just you, They make a lot of money doing it.
2: But my point is the fact, what you can't deny is that that quote-unquote base, that conservative voting base is poorer, less educated, white people. There's a, 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 a thread throughout history of uh, people keeping other people in check by creating barriers to or demonizing education. I don't know if in your advanced degrees, Jay, you read up a lot on church history or Martin Luther. You know, you're Protestant. You love Martin Luther, right? Okay.
0: Not a big fan of Martin Luther, actually. I'm more of a Calvinist myself, but.
2: I see. Well, one thing Martin Luther did, if you're not familiar with Martin Luther, folks. He was was anti-Semitic. Well, you know, what do you do? Martin Luther translated the Bible into German. This really made the clergy upset. Because people could read German. And before that, they had to just ask the clergy. And it took the power and it redistributed it. And if you're on the top, you don't want the power redistributed. You don't want the knowledge redistributed. During slavery, bad idea to teach your slaves to read. Okay, not only was it frowned upon, after the Nat Turner Rebellion in 1831, it was made illegal. You were not allowed to teach your slaves to read. And if they did learn to read, make sure you gave them what was called the Slave Bible, which is an Old Testament that had, you know, the part where the f- slaves are freed, taken out. Because you didn't want to get them any ideas, right? You're controlling the message. And then, you guys familiar with Malala? Youngest Nobel Prize winner. She's uh, shot in the head, survived. Why did they shoot her in the head? What was her cause? She thought women should get to go to school. Because in these fundamentalist Islamic countries, they keep the women from going to, we can't let them go to school. If they go to school, they might learn something. Then they might want to get a job. Then they might want to make money on their own and not marry us. They control that population by making sure they don't get an education.
1: And do you know which state in the country actually uh, puts um, less of their tax dollars into the education system than any other state? Well, that's the other
2: thing too, is that you can see this in the breakdown of the way education is funded in America.
1: And what state is it? with the worst? Yeah. Is Arizona. But, uh, yeah, but, I was under the impression it was Oklahoma.
2: Actually. No, 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 Oklahoma's low, but but no, I'll tell you this. I won't, I won't read through the whole list because that would take forever, but I'll just tell you this. It's literally, it's it's like one of those graphs. One time, short, short tangent, I used to make a graph showing the attendance rate in my classes. I would do this during the syllabus instruction. And then the grades that are associated with that. And when I throw it up there, I go, it looks like a fake graph. <laughs> Because it's like, if you're there a lot, you get an A. If you're there less, you get a, you know what I mean? I was like, it looks like a fake graph. And this, this looks fake too, okay? So starting at the top, Arizona, and by the way, these numbers, this isn't just dollar amounts, because obviously some states have more money than others, some states have more people than others, right? And this isn't even just dollar amounts spent per student. You can find those lists, but the problem is, some of those lists, they might include those massive football stadiums that they built in Texas for the high school kids, right? So there's a different metric, which is dollar amount spent per student on instruction. Teachers, facilities, material. And this is a good barometer for whether your state and its state legislature and its state government thinks of education as something that is important or is not as important as, say, road infrastructure or building that arena so the basketball team will stay.
0: Where can people find this?
2: This is is US census data. You can find it easily, right? So Arizona is the worst, okay? They're 50th out of 50. New York is the best, they're In
1: terms of worst, in terms of what? They spend the the least amount amount
2: of money per student. They have decided in their budgeting, we don't care that much about schools. And this, again, it it, it has an effect, right? So going through this list, I won't read every state, I'll just do this, going from the top, worst to best. Red state, red, 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 blue, Red, 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 blue, blue. Red, 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 blue, red, blue, purple. Red, purple, purple, blue, blue, purple, blue, red, red, blue, 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 purple, red, blue, blue, red, blue, 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 blue. And uh, there's only two reds in the top 16. One of them is Alaska, and that's only because they directly tie their education funding to their oil money. Of the bottom 25, 20 are red states, five are blue states. Of the top 25, 15 are blue, five are what you'd consider purple, and five are red. And this isn't just who you voted for for president, this is the way your state legislature looks.
0: It's a a conversation about, sort of what we got into last week about healthcare being a right or a good, uh, and, and should that be therefore federally funded? It's education, is that a right or a good, and should that be federally funded? It's a different conversation, but.
2: It's assigning a value to it. And in a remarkable way, red states have decided, eh, not that valuable.
1: But then explain this one. Outside of the amount of money that the state of California spends on their education system, and it's a lot, LAUSD has one of the worst outcomes in in the country. Uh, It has some of the worst test scores, so why is that?
2: You're talking about, so you're talking about a specific school district now, which brings in a lot of other variables. Well, yeah, it's not to say these are all the best schools necessarily. I will say that the best school districts in America, for the most part, are in these states that score higher.
0: You're talking about politically, where does a local government place uh, an important certain importance on right. education, but it could also be, it could also be translated as as where do they place uh, their idea of where government should be funding?
2: Well, yeah, these are one these are one of the these are one of the same thing. You know what I mean? That's how a state legislature uh, decides what's important. It's what gets funded and what doesn't. And there's a lot of debate over these things. And-
1: I, I'd love to see a statistics about uh, a statistic about um, who is more likely. Or is it Democrats or Republicans more likely to send their kids to private school in the grade school uh, area? That would be interesting because there's parochial schools too. Yeah, yeah.
2: that gets complicated because like in a place like Arizona, where the schools are literally the least funded in America, but you have people with money, then they might, you obviously have people who are obviously doing it for religious reasons. So you're starting to introduce a lot of variables that would make it difficult. I can tell you that we have a mandate to fund public school in America with tax dollars, except states get to decide how well they're funded. That's how they decide, along ideological lines, okay? So here's the part, though, where this is like noticeable to me, is that you wanna say, okay, let's say you're willing to run with that idea. You know, There's a part of the conservative hierarchy which is perfectly happy to keep these people stupid, okay? And you think, okay, but that's ridiculous. Why would they want to do that? And then you start actually looking at these things, right? Like, if they were better educated, would they know that uh, jihadists aren't flooding over the Mexican border? If they were better educated, would they know that more terrorist attacks in America are perpetuated by white nationalists than Antifa, okay, or black people or Muslims? If they were better educated, would they recognize that when a black person comes, or when a Mexican person comes across the border and uh, uh, takes a job, that in fact, uh, that's not what's happening. What's happening is an employer is exploiting cheaper labor and you know taking advantage of the fact that someone is working for less, and that's blocking you out. And instead of being pissed at the person who gives the job away to somebody else, instead you're you're pissed at the brown person. Uh, they might actually recognize that the difference between murders and murder rates in America is an actually a better a better sense of you know what's safe. I mean, you realize there's like thirteen thousand murders in America every year. There's only six hundred and sixty nine murders in Haiti every year. Which is a more dangerous place? Murder rate, right? They would would learn things like that, okay? But most of all, folks, what they would learn is that if you actually are a person who's disadvantaged in America based on the idea that you don't have as much money, like a lot of these folks are in these places, okay? These poor folks who don't have the education—that the way to get away ahead in America is not to have as many guns as possible. It is not to keep gays from marrying, okay? It is not to uh, uh, try to jumpstart dead industries like uh, coal. It is not about keeping out of uh, immigrants. It is not about making America great again. The way you get ahead in America is getting an education, as much as possible. But if in fact they encouraged this, they may in fact lose their actual base—the 44% of the electorate that are whites without college degrees and who single-handedly got that elected. And so when I hear this question posed, I freak out because I'm like, "This is all part of the thing. This is all part of the messaging, and there are consequences of this." Okay, because we've been debating this this whole time, Jay, and yet a week ago I posted something about masks and we were lamenting how people are so stupid. How could they be so stupid to not listen to these experts next to their politicians? And you think, well of course they are. They've had a message played at them which has consistently devalued the idea of expertise and de the idea of education and that's where libtards go to get brainwashed. So instead, when we have a real medical emergency where their actual lives are in danger, They don't trust the person who's gone to the most school, and folks, I'm sure Dr. Andrew talked about this when he was on, I haven't listened to that yet, but the amount of knowledge that goes into these people who are making these recommendations, my wife is 13 years into a 16 year journey of being a doctor, four years of undergrad, two years of uh, masters, four years of medical school, she's three years into a six year, this is not something you can get from listening to a podcast or looking at a wiki. Okay? And and it's like, the the only thing we can do in situations like this is trust the people who've gone to the most school. And when we constantly undercut what school is about and what school is like, that helps create this problem of not just ignorance, but an ignorance that they're somehow proud of.
1: Just to push back on a, a tiny little bit there, there is also a movement on the left that is conspiratorial in nature. Like, for instance, I drove through a few weeks ago a a protest in Brentwood with a bunch of Brentwood bombs about va- anti-vaxxers. So, right. So that is a left... That, it's an interesting left-wing movement and it is pervasive among mostly rich soccer mom liberals. So it, it does exist on both sides. The, cons-
2: the conspiracy culture is bipartisan.
1: Yes, it is. Absolutely, 100%.
2: And the idea that somehow you would trust trust someone less because they were an egghead. I mean, that's just... You know what I mean? And so that's why this becomes something that, that it's not just a debate over like whether it's a big deal or a smaller deal. To me, it is a, a, a echo of an overall problem. And if you think, how big a problem is it? Well, it's a big problem because we're watching why it's a problem. You have people who are actually listening to this idiot, and not just this idiot, all of their local politicians who, who fall in line behind the idiot, down from the governors of other states to local city leaders. And you have these experts over here with all degrees in the world from those places like Harvard. But if you think hard enough about the idea, well, Harvard's where they, you know, where they're safe spaces, Harvard, it doesn't help.
0: The politicization of this issue is very dangerous. Absolutely.
2: We can't be thinking that it's not good to know more i guess that's the sort of bottom line more knowledge more experience it's why it's why i don't like the idea of it's why i think that academic freedom should exist even in a religious institution because we've all agreed that like
0: create the opportunity for people to make decisions for themselves Yeah,
2: hearing different things is good
0: yeah and by the way i'll, I'll tell you from my perspective if you don't choose your faith with the knowledge of everything else out there, then, in my opinion, it's not a choice.
2: Well, Jay, there's a lot. Probably the majority of people in this country, where that's how they came by their faith, and that's important to remember. I'm well aware. You know what I mean? And so, I to me, the battle between the way the right wingers and left wingers think of education is there's there's one side that says learn everything, even crazy stuff, and make a decision, and there's one side that says no, 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 we got to make sure they don't hear that. And like when I hear the golden age of homeschooling, that's just like waving that flag, like oh. Make sure they don't hear that. How are we gonna keep them on the path if they hear that? It's like, have more faith in your message. If you believe it's the real message, you should believe that people would choose it when given a choice.
1: I like that you didn't actually, in any in anything you've said today, you haven't actually uh, divulged your political opinions on things like howard zinn or versus the traditional view of america and that's actually that's important as i think as a professor whatever you I think believe. i
2: probably have what i would say is i don't in the classroom i don't
0: I, what what i hope i hope every professor takes that example
2: but i'll say this if i was teaching history it would be very difficult to not point out the difference between the history that we were taught at one point which is later revealed to be and the history that we're trying to bring in more, which, while being truthful, yes, doesn't make us all seem so awesome. And, and, you know, the fact of the matter is like, because I know these things, it doesn't mean I hate my country. Because I know these things, it means I know my country.
0: Just because these things happen, it, it doesn't make the system of government and capitalism what Riz and I consider to be the best system that's been developed.
2: Well, and, and, and what I, and my attitude is, not only is it important to understand history so that you can learn from it and you can keep you know, from repeating it and all that, but just the notion that uh, 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 the reason this country is the greatest country is because we do learn about this stuff. I talk about the idea of indoctrination. When you're in China, you don't have Google. You have their approved version of Google that controls the message. So I want to live in a place where I hear everything, even if there's warts.
1: It's what I said on our July fourth episode, Jay. I don't celebrate the old men. I celebrate the ideals. Eve even even if we haven't even reached those ideals yet. It is it is the ideals that need to be celebrated, not necessarily the men who implemented these ideals very imperfectly for hundreds of years.
0: No one claimed that this was a perfect union. It's a more perfect union than those that have been developed before it.
2: And 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 to get to what you know, you mentioned about Shapiro saying, who I guess you know by comparison is more of a level head on this stuff, though I wouldn't even say so, is he started to say, they should view this country as a people who did the best they could, sometimes faltering, but told ultimately succeeding. That's the last bit, that's the only bit I don't like. I don't think we can be like, mission accomplished. Because it's not, we need to constantly recognize the idea that we have to get better, and to me, if you want to know where I fall ideologically, that's where I fall. There's two parties: conservatives and liberals. There's one that says, "Things are good or let's go back." And there's one that says, "Let's get better." That to me, is all you need to know about me politically. I think we have more work to do. You know what I mean? I think going backwards would be a terrible, terrible idea, even if it was better for me. OK? I am a white Christian male. I'm not even Christian in the sense that I practice, but I grew up that way. I have never had to deal. I, I have enjoyed the privilege of being a white Christian male my entire life. I should, in theory, be a person who would say, boy, it was better for me in 1950. It was even better in 1900, it was even better in 1850. But I feel like you have to have a bigger worldview than that where it's not just about what's particularly good for you, it's what's good for, it's who's good for everybody. You know what I mean? That's, and even if you're not that, I mean, it's like, I have daughters, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, what world do you, you know what I mean? Like, what kind of myopia is involved to think, well, it was better for me then, therefore, anyhow.
1: Well, we've gone, what, about two hours now, Jay? Yeah, two hours.
2: You fellas need anything else? Because I'm definitely not coming on again. Well,
1: well Ms., so congratulations. You're now coming on every single week. No. We're going to do it. You're the third.
2: <laughs> no. And uh, I'm going to listen to Dr. Andrew, and then I'm probably going to go back to not listening again. I was pissed off because last week you said it was Dr. Andrew. I listened to it. I'm like 40 minutes in. I'm like, where the f is Dr. Andrew? And then I realized that you've horn me that he's not even on this episode.
0: It, was, it went up today. Yeah, it went up today. I, up I saw it. Ms couldn't have enjoyed that more. Thank you so much for being on here. It's it these are important issues. They need to be talked through and we really really enjoyed having you on the show. And you're coming on every week. It's yeah, great I'm not news for on, yeah. us.
1: <laughs> and if you need some blood pressure medication, you know, we could we could do that too. Uh
0: Ms Tell us tell us what you're up to. You have a lot of other things going on other than debating uh, academic bias. Tell us about records, books, poetry. What do you got going on uh, coming up?
2: When I'm not teaching uh, now white blonde kids in Utah to argue, I continue to make records under my name, Mark M. Cogman, with my backing band, The Dead Messengers. We put out a record on March 20th, which is available from our label, Last Three Punks. There are five other albums available.
1: Go buy them all. I'll give vouch for all five. If you
2: send me a. Um, Evidence of a twenty dollar donation to Act Blue. I will send you any album you want, and uh, I'm halfway through writing, uh, you know, the next record. Which, if this thing ever ends, we will get to make and put out. But that's last three punks. Last number three punks dot com. Markmcogma com. The, the dot com. You can go check out all of that stuff. It's not political. I don't like political music.
0: And where where can we find you on social? Uh,
2: Mark M Cogman, but I, uh, you know, but mostly the the the, the Twitter is mostly um, stuff about sports, which aren't happening right now. The uh, the uh, uh, Instagram is mostly pictures of um, pets and food and hiking in Utah, which is where I live. Um, so it's you're not going to find any hot takes for the most part. Um, who knows? Maybe because we're at an unprecedented point in history as we get closer to the election, you may get some reminders from me about. You know, wearing a mask. Uh, not just wear your mask, but perhaps what you should be thinking about with regard to our democracy and preserving it at a time when I truly think it is in danger. And I was always the guy who always wanted to downplay the idea that there was any sort of existential crisis at work, that everything was going to be fine, that we had a system in place that would keep anything from really, 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 really getting. F- and I no longer believe that. Um, I think we are uh, we're the guy hanging off the building by our fingernails and uh someone's walking up getting ready to stomp on them and we have to do something and uh i am not willing to let you know my children and uh everyone else uh inherit a world that gets that gets worse so i'm going to do more than perhaps in the past to to get that message out but for the most part
0: i have noticed i have noticed an uptick
1: in uh instagram stories uh you know everyone it's all hands on deck
2: just uh you know hopefully you'll 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 account for these things i'm, I'm looking forward to the voter suppression episode uh, you know as we it's especially coming. with john lewis having uh having passed
0: don't you worry yeah, yeah. don't you worry it's so coming. all right guys uh go to downthemiddlepod.com to find out more info and contact us if you send us questions we'll answer them on the air follow us on social media down the middle podcast on instagram down the middle pc on twitter and down the middle pod on facebook don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. You can follow Riz and I on social media. You got all the addresses. We'll, we'll tell you again, Justin Siegel. Rob underscore Lifer. Right, go to Rob underscore Lifer to follow Riz. And don't forget to visit our Discord where you can mix it up with Riz and I about politics. And uh, and we'll see you on there soon. All right, Miz. Mix it up. And Thank you, Miz. Thanks people.
1: for coming on. Bye to all the people.